Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daniel Amadori. He is the president of Future Money Trends, which is an online newsletter, uh, which you can see more about at his website, futuremoneytrends.com. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the show. So let's just do a little bit of your background. You had uh, some rough times, and now you've been doing much better. Just give us a brief history of how you've come to where you are today. Sure. I, I was always fascinated with entrepreneurship and money. Uh, luckily, never uh, fell into the trap or the temptation of the materialism part. I just really enjoyed money. wanted to read about it, wanted to learn about it since I was a kid. Ended up having a lot of success in the early 2000s, right out of high school, was buying houses in California, blew myself up uh, by 2008, almost completely, and um, I was able to, um, over the years, uh, monetize a hobby of mine, which was reading and sharing what I learned about money, and it ultimately leads to uh, the founding of futuremoneytrends.com, where I'm able to basically... uh, be selfish in the way that I get to learn about money and, and practice new ideas. And then I get to share it with everybody at the future money trends letter. So it's, it's literally, um, you know, just personal finance for the new economy, looking to navigate our way, especially for the younger people who are like millennials moving into that freelance economy from the previous one we've, we had, and just really kind of Focusing on, uh, you know, seeing, seeing, your, looking at the person in the mirror for your answers, rather than, you know, uh, you know, Wall Street or the government, really kind of taking control of your of your financial uh, plan. Just tell us briefly what did happen in 2008 when you went into real estate and how did you get out of it? You know, the, my biggest problem was that I had a, a lot of success when I was young, and it was due to the bubble. Uh, you know, imagine being 18 years old, buying your first place at 18. So that's 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 good. But it happened to be in Southern California in the year 2000. So all I ever experienced for the next five six years is just unbelievable success. Even when I even when I screwed up, you know, the house was going up 10,000 a month in appreciation. And so what happened by 2007, I was aware that there was going to be a serious crisis to the point where. I, I actually started a YouTube channel warning people to get out of housing. But me thinking I was so smart because of those bubble and bull market years in real estate, my only experience, I went out and I bought as many houses as I could in 2007, twice as much in as I was used to buying because I knew that this thing was coming to an end and I needed to hurry up and make as much money as I could. Well, unfortunately, uh, the most expensive house I had ever tried to flip, uh, bought it for 500 l- listed it for a million. When we um, listed it, about two days later, Bear Stearns went under. And from there, it just slowly became a disaster. Foreclosure after foreclosure, short sales, uh, just a real mess. With all the money I had made, reinvested back into the real estate market, and then completely lost nearly all of it uh, in the real estate market over the next two years. And how did you recover from that? You know, it took a long time uh, to recover. Uh, first of all, there was like a, a period in my life where there's almost like a depression because, uh, you know, you feel like, ah, I can't I can't climb that wall again. I, I made it so high and I blew myself up. But it was really just a concentration and a focus with my, focus with my wife and I 
of really saving money, cutting expenses. Um, we moved out of our area to an area that was about, you know, just barely over our, our annual income. Uh, it was the house we purchased, paid it off, had no mortgage, and continued just to snowball these small things we did of saving money and investing. Instead of in- speculating, we we really focused on cash flow. So when we did buy something, it was something that definitely brought us more money. Uh, we didn't necessarily snowball that in. Um, we we uh, as far as in other investments, we actually took the money. We would use it to pay off a direct or pay the you know the the, the electric bill or use it for groceries, and we just kept snowballing. And so it was a combination of really dramatically cutting spending. I'm talking about like we got rid of our dogs that were seven years old. That's how much spending cutting we did. Um, and then on the flip side, rather than just focusing on things that might make you better off when you're 70. We focused on buying things that brought us income that could help the household now. So that's one of your themes is cash flow and producing passive income. So let's go through some of the ways that you recommend people doing that. One of them is what you call dividend aristocrat kinds of stocks. So how do you pick uh, dividend aristocrat stocks? Well, you know, there are certain companies that have that have very – good and successful track record of not only paying out a dividend, but raising dividends. And this is consecutively for decades. Um, You know, my favorite company that's a dividend aristocrat uh, is is not even a buy at this point. It's too expensive, like many things in the market. But um, it's it's as simple as a, a, a water company in Pennsylvania. It's called York Water. They've been paying a dividend since 1812. They even paid a dividend during the Civil War when they were occupied by the South for a year. This company's never missed a dividend since 1812. That's incredible. But what's even better is over the past few decades, they've been increasing the dividend every single year. So we look for companies that are safe and boring, that can pay you a dividend, and the company values their dividend. Um, There are some companies that might pay a dividend that are new to the market, uh, when it comes to a dividend, like an Apple or something like, uh, you know, one of these tech companies that we hear about, and then there are companies that they pride themselves on having a great dividend and and continuously raising it. What would be some other examples in addition to York Water of uh, companies that you like as a dividend uh, place? You know, I don't like to get into too many specifics, but because you asked, um, you know, some of our 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 other favorites are Intel. Um, we do like Budweiser, even though they they've have to halt the in, increasing the dividend. They're still going to be paying it while they're cleaning up some debt. But you know, we're going to to companies that everybody knows. Uh, but it's because we are looking for that that boringness of an investment. You know, we recently started initiated coverage on Walt Disney, and the reason we like Walt Disney, um, it doesn't pay a great dividend. It doesn't have a history of of of, of being an aristocrat for dividends. However. It's a company that has a competitive advantage, no real competitors when it comes to their parks and their cruise lines. I mean, yes, there are other companies that do it, but nobody does it like Disney, and nobody has that monopoly where they've been able to take their entertainment and intertwine it into all these great products they have as well as their theme parks and rides. So, again, um, probably running over, uh, overlapping on a lot of things that others have advocated, like the people we learn from, like Warren Buffett. But a lot of times people are looking for these sexy, you know, I know everybody probably wants me to give them something that they've never heard of. But honestly, a lot of times the best investments are sticking with those names you have heard of, like a Johnson and Johnson or a General Mills, uh, you know, and especially right now on some of these companies have been hit by, with inflation headlines. 
Um, these companies pay great dividends. They're super safe, and they are absolutely world dominators in the things that they do. Think General Mills, for example. I mean, you know, if you're going to buy cereal, the odds are you're buying it from General Mills. Yes, it's not a penny stock that everybody can get rich from, but it is a very safe place to put money. They're not going away. Another thing you recommend is what's called Peer Street as a way of getting uh, generating cash flow. Maybe explain how that works and why you like that. Yeah, you know, the fintech um, has really revolutionized how uh, people can generate yields. And these things were always available, but, you know, normally they, you know, 10 years ago before crowdfunding really got into high gear, these things were available to um, either very specific groups or hedge funds, um, always accredited investors. I believe Peer Street is still for accredited investors, but it is crowdfunding mortgages. Um, where, you know, there's a niche market in the mortgage industry that's always been there. Um, you, you know, you, you've got these people who need a bridge loan between houses or investors who are fixing up properties. But traditionally, this has always been funded by the local market. This has been funded in, in, in that specific region by a local bank or a small group of investors who focused on that area. What Peer Street has done is they've done, they've, they've essentially become the dominator in that niche mortgage market to the point where when I was interviewing Brett Crosby there, um, they're one of their founders who also created Google Analytics. Um, he, he was telling me that, you know, I asked him, I go, what happens when, when somebody defaults? He goes, well, actually, you know, the, the loan originator has been coming in to pay off the loan as soon as there's a problem because Peer Street has become such a dominant player in funding these mortgages. No one wants to have a bad credit score, uh, meaning loan originators, uh, with Peer Street, who's been funding and they've been able to flip all these mortgages to. So Peer Street, Fundrise, Realty Shares, um, Lending Club, a lot of these names people have, have are starting to hear about, but they're, they're doing something that has historically been done by uh, larger institutions, old money, family offices, but now the average guy can get in. He, and we don't need millions of dollars. You can get in with $1,000 at Peer Street. Uh, with some of the other ones like Lending Club, 25 bucks. Now you're funding, you're crowdfunding something that might have, uh, it might be a $10,000 personal loan or a million dollar office building loan, but you just have a little piece of that pie, but now you're able to get returns of five, seven, eight, even up to 12% on something that is, is not new. It's not speculative. People have been borrowing and, and funding loans and mortgages forever. So these are things that I believe are, are safer. What are some of the downsides of doing these crowdfunding uh, as far as liquidity or default risk? There's definitely a downside on liquidity. So, I mean, obviously, if you loan out $10,000 on a mortgage, you're not getting the money back until it's paid off. Uh, on some of the other ones like Fundrise, where it's like a private REIT, a real estate investment trust that's not publicly traded, the liquidity, the volatility is gone. So people love that. But the you, you you'll have redemption quarters or even annually sometimes on some of these so the liquidity is definitely uh, not the same as the stock market that's a downside um, i would say another big risk overall for all of them is that they're just new the oldest ones are prosper and lending club and those two came around 2006 and 2007 um, they're the only two that went through the financial crisis and came out the other end and survived. And, and it was a disaster for them, but they did survive. Um, but that I, I would say that would be our biggest risk is that these companies just don't have history. It's not as if we're handing our money over to New York Life. Um, these are companies that are typically less than 10 years old. 
But you're saying in order to get a higher yield today, you've got to do something different. The traditional uh, income sources are very low, whether it be treasury bonds or annuities. So you have to do something different to get better cash flow. Yeah, I, but and, and the best part is I think these different options are actually more avail- readily available, more readily vetted. You know, this stuff's been around, but you'd be, you know, replying to an advertisement in the L.A. Times 20 years ago if you wanted to start funding a mortgage. You'd probably be attached to just one. So I think the technology has also made it to where we actually have the option. People got to remember 25 years ago, uh, you know, people weren't tra- day trading stocks on E-Trade. Um, a lot of this stuff is relatively new. Now it's come, it's become normal to to my generation, which is people under 40 years old. But this stuff is still relatively new, and now the options are opening up to us even more so with the fintech revolution. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Daniel Amaduri. He is the president of Future Money Trends. You can see more about him and his newsletters at futuremoneytrends.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We've all been there, struggling to keep up with credit card payments, searching for a simpler, safer way out of debt. Well, here it is. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a nonprofit service that has been helping people reduce or eliminate their credit card debt for over 20 years. Most of us have made late payments and even gone over our credit limits. Before we know it, our balances are out of control and we can barely afford to make the minimum payments. If this sounds familiar and you're ready to take control of your debts, call Cambridge right away at 1-800-897-2200 for a debt-free analysis. Cambridge will work with your creditors and may be able to reduce your interest rates and get you out of debt fast. In fact, Cambridge's typical debt management clients save almost $150 every month on their credit card payments, and they're debt-free in just 50 months. So there is a simpler, safer way out of debt, and it all starts with Cambridge Credit Counseling. Call 1-800-897-2200 for your free debt analysis. Cambridge Credit Counseling is a Massachusetts-based nonprofit agency providing services nationwide. For complete licensing information, Visit them online at cambridge-credit.org. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Has your small business been turned down for a loan by the bank? Is lack of capital hindering your business growth? Small businesses unable to obtain bank financing or tired of merchant cash advances can now get the financing they need. Corporate Lending Solutions provides short and long-term capital, revolving lines of credit, and unsecured business loans. Does your business need help with payables, supplies, or payroll? Corporate Lending Solutions has powerful programs to help. While getting a small business loan can be a long, daunting process, with Corporate Lending Solutions, it's simple and takes only one to three days. Call 800-261-6478 or visit CorporateLendingSolutions.com to learn more. 800-261-6478. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daniel Amaduri. He's the president of Future Money Trends. Uh, his newsletter uh, can be found at futuremoneytrends.com. Welcome back to the show, Daniel. Thank you. So we talked about conservative cash flow, things like Peer Street and dividend aristocrats. Now we're going to go the complete opposite direction and talk about speculative things. One of the greatest trends you think investors should be playing is the growth of legalized marijuana and cannabis. So before we get to specifics, kind of give us a sense of how big a trend that is going to be in coming years. Uh, it's, it's one of the things we're most excited about as investors because it's a certainty that it's being mainstreamed and uh, it's 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 a global uh, trend as well. We're seeing it in North America. We're seeing it in Europe, and it's it's uh, it's really something everybody can understand. You know, we understand the the beer industry. We under, we understand the cigarette industry. The cannabis industry um, is something m- most people have consumed and tried the products. They they acknowledge that it's not dangerous, um, but with the cannabis. Um, people a lot of times assume it's just the smoking of the product or growing of the product. But there's so many more uses for the product and ways to use it and ways to even consume it um, that, uh, I mean, the sky is the limit. This is the blue sky industry that it doesn't take a drill hole and a discovery to make money on. It doesn't take, um, you know, a, a new wave of adoption from mass consumers or education Really, it's a matter of uh, rolling back of these laws that criminalized it. And as, you know, Canada goes and California and Colorado and parts of Europe, I think the rest of the world will, will see that, you know, you're not having all these problems that we were all told, uh, you know, was, this was the big boogeyman, uh, you know, it was going to be a gateway. You know, what's happening in places like Washington, Colorado is you're seeing DUIs go down, spousal abuse go down, um, uh, different things happening that are all positive um, in the numbers. But you could imagine if we legalized alcohol today and all of a sudden we've got accidents everywhere and uh, all, all this, um, you know, uh, all the all the different things that come around, like, like even people going to the emergency rooms on the weekends from drinking too much, uh, you can imagine the outcry of how bad this stuff would be. But here we have done this with marijuana from time and time again since Colorado and the United States all over now, 29 states, and nothing, none of those stories, no injuries, no kids, Nobody, you know, high schools aren't opening up uh, to, you know, coke and cocaine, and because we've lost cannabis, it's it's the opposite. Uh, it's a very safe and enjoyable uh, plant. Now, some would say, from the investment point of view, there's all these small companies getting out there, but maybe the big guys, the tobacco companies, the beer companies, maybe even the pharmaceutical companies, will get in and ultimately dominate this market. Why should you invest in the smaller ones? when the bigger guys may be coming in? Well, certainly, um, if you can invest in a small company and then they get taken out for a billion dollars or two, three billion dollars uh, by the larger companies, that's a that's an incentive. There's an entire investor model in the junior mining space, which is one of the worst places to invest, 
where you're constantly investing for just those cycles, just to build up a company, find an exploration project, uh, so it can be taken out by a major. There's never an intention from a junior mining company to actually become a gold miner or silver miner. They just want to be taken out. So in the sense that we're buying these early stage companies, which they all are, uh, these cannabis companies, where right now the attorneys are they're really the only ones making any money, um, we do have an opportunity to, who knows, the, the, these, these, these could be big brand cannabis companies, and they could be taken out by a large pharmaceutical company uh, because of the, the, the medical side of it. And then the recreational side, it could be a large tobacco company. So I think that shouldn't shy people away. That should excite people. Um, we just did a, a, a you know very specific report at futuremoneytrends.com slash peer on the cannabis sector and the opportunities we see in Canada where it will be fully legalized in October. Um, although they're not enforcing it now and you can buy it on any corner of a, in an actual store, not on the corner, but in a corner of a store, um, you can actually buy it legally. And, um, but uh, October 1st actually becomes officially legal. And I think that's when a lot of institutions, especially non-American uh, banks, are going to be able to really put some money behind this sector. So why don't you talk about some of the stocks? I know they're speculative, but some of the stocks in the cannabis world that you do like at current prices. Well, first of all, everyone should know that we're doing this interview in, in uh, the middle of August 2018. These are highly speculative investments, so you could lose all your money, uh, you know, a politician could tweet something and change everything for the cannabis companies. So, uh, you know, but the companies we're following is we're, we're trying to focus on California and Canada. And it's because of their populations, their demands. And our thought at the Future Money Trends letter is that the first mover advantage, advantage uh, is, is most likely going to come out of one of these uh, uh, states or regions where there can be a high, high sales. And uh, so in Canada... Uh, we recently initiated coverage on a company called Peer uh, Cannabis Global, and they're essentially uh, using not only their licensed producing facility, but they are also using their actual product line to be able to license out so that you're, you're able to actually go beyond borders uh, because you're just simply licensing a product uh, or a brand name that other people can apply to their product. So let's say, for example, on a gummy um, or an oil. Um, to have a more of a unified sales team, you can license out your product. Now, you can't actually make gummies in Ontario and deliver them to Colorado, but you can have the same recipe applied in Colorado using the same brand. So that's something that I think will be needed because there there's going to be a Pepsi of this industry. There's going to be a Coca-Cola. We just don't know which names are. This is all ground level. That's why it's extremely risky. Um, we've also initiated a, a, a coverage on companies that are doing business in California and the, and the West Coast, like C21 Investments. This is a great company. It's, it's, it's almost like a royalty play in the sense that they're buying pieces of other businesses uh, in order to unify the brand names. Again, you know, getting to that licensed and uh, licensed producer. And then you have uh, Fincana Capital Corp. That is a pure royalty deal in California. Um, they're basically... Uh, filling a void out there. Banks are not cutting checks into American-run uh, cannabis companies. They're worried about their losing uh, or, 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 or getting in trouble from the Federal Reserve, the FDIC. I've actually have personal experience with this. Um, I received uh, a wire 
from a company that was going to use – I have another company called Gold Standard Media that advertises uh, comp- uh, for companies, and it got hired by a cannabis company. And immediately, Bank of America shut all of our accounts down and said, uh, wow. because of your ties to the cannabis industry, um, we, you know, we can't take this type of risk. But, I mean, if, you've set, if anybody set up a brokerage account recently, they actually now have some questions in there while you're setting it up. Are you paid by a cannabis company? Have you ever worked for a cannabis company? So it's still kind of rough in the U.S., but that has created an opportunity for a company like Fincana Capital to be, to be the one out there writing the checks. So they're simply a, a royalty deal, uh, cutting checks and in anticipation of, of shared profits on those revenues that will come from those, those warehouses. Just give us the uh, stock symbols, uh, like uh, Pure Global Cannabis, uh, and where is that traded? Sure. All these companies are based out of Canada. Uh, because of the laws here in the U.S., so in, in on like Pure is P uh, U R E on the TSX venture, uh, C21 is C I X X A, and it trades on the Canadian exchange. It doesn't even have an OTC symbol yet. Um, Fincana uh, Capital Corp trades under Cali C A L I. Uh, another one I should point out is Invictus. Uh, it trades under the TSX under I M H. Uh, it's an interesting story because not only is it a very successful cannabis company in Canada, but they actually had the Kiss singer Gene Simmons come on as uh, um, I don't. I th- it's like chairman of marketing or something. It's not a normal name like you give uh, somebody, but he's been very aggressive in in, uh, in doing interviews and uh, a lot of people don't know this about Gene Simmons, but he's a, he's a very successful businessman. Um, he's actually never tried alcohol. He's never tried uh, um, cannabis. Um, it's an interesting story because this is the guy with from the Kiss band with his tongue out and the makeup on yes, him. But right. <laughs> you know, this guy's a very, very savvy business and a business person. And the Invictus actually changed their their name or excuse me their symbol to Gene. So uh, it's G E N E on the T S X venture. I just re- remember that as I was uh, talking about Gene. So these are the ones you like. You would agree that there's a lot of scammy ones as well, right? There are a lot of cannabis companies that are not going where that you would avoid. Is that correct? Yeah, I would say the vast majority are pump and dumps, uh, especially the ones you're going to see on the OTC. And uh, another problem is is that there there is no, you know, there's no track record. So uh, typically when I speculate in a micro cap company, I try to lean on management's success from previous uh, uh, ventures. So for example, if I'm going to buy a, a gold stock, I'm going to stick with the the guys who are famous for gold, like a like a Ross Beatty or a, or a Robert Friedland. Uh, but you know, in cannabis, because it it's been a, illegal for so long, there there really is no um, track record. So you're depending on a management that has a great track record in a an entirely different industry, say telecommunication or something, coming into the cannabis market. And now having to elbow their way through, sometimes in the dark, because we don't know what the regulations are going to be from state to state. And so there's been a lot of money being siphoned out to basically legal fees. And the old, the joke right now in the cannabis space is nobody's making any, any money but the attorneys. And that's pretty much true for the pub, tr- publicly traded ones. If you look at the 300 or so that are trading, there's only two that actually are making any real money. And even those are, you know, this the canopy growth. Uh, it's way out of line. I mean, you, you, you're, you're, you're extremely speculative at that point. And then as the point you brought up in your question, 
the vast majority of these have not much behind them, especially the publicly traded companies. They're basically trading on air and there's no real business behind these things. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Daniel Amaduri. He's the president of Future Money Trends. You can see more about his newsletter at futuremoneytrends.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daniel Amaduri. He's the president of Future Money Trends, the newsletter. You can find out more at futuremoneytrends.com. Welcome back to the show, Daniel. Hey, thanks for having me on. We talked about cash flow, dividend aristocrats. Uh, then we talked for a while about uh, uh, the crazy world of cannabis. Uh, mm-hmm. Now another crazy world, which is uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and all that. How should people look at the investment possibilities in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies? They had a huge rise, a big fall. There's been a lot of these initial coin offerings that have failed. How should people kind of evaluate the potential there? 
Today, they are extremely spe- speculative. Five years ago, they were extremely speculative, but for a whole other reason. Uh, now there's some proof of concept, but unfortunately, you can't actually easily transact in Bitcoin due to the fees and the slowness. Um, so I, I think anybody who's looking to get into cryptocurrency speculating, you must absolutely admit to yourself that you are 100% gambling. You have no idea what's going to happen to these things over the next five to 10 years. Uh, if they'll even be around, and I say that, because, you know, everybody's going to hate me for saying that, but we don't know what the regulatory environment or what gov- global governments will do if this does become a legitimate threat uh, to the banking system or to the, uh, to the currency system that's in place. So I, I just would say approach it with, with speculate, just keep, keep it in the most speculative part of your portfolio. If you're not willing to lose the money, do not enter. So that's kind of the pure play on Bitcoin and Ethereum. But how about the blockchain, uh, which is kind of underneath it? Are there ways to invest in that? Yeah, so that was the biggest thing I struggled with. Uh, since finally joining the Bitcoin bandwagon at $13, I profiled it with my letter, suggested Bitcoin and Litecoin, and then later Ethereum, uh, many years later, probably two years ago. Uh, but I all I it's not it's never really what I wanted to profile. What I wanted to profile was a stock, and there just wasn't anything out there that was legitimate until the very first one that I was able to profile, which was Hive Blockchain Technology. Uh, the chairman is Frank Holmes. Many of you might know him. Uh, he's the gold guy in San Antonio. Runs a fund called GoAU, um, as well as many other uh, funds. They also run a, an airline ETF, but. Uh, you know, very legitimate people. That's what caught my attention with the company. And then I saw what they were doing. They had a partnership with Genesis, which is the largest cloud mining company for cryptos in the world. And it was a simple, understandable play. They are simply mining cryptocurrency. They're mining Ethereum in Iceland and Sweden, and soon they'll be mining Bitcoin. And it was just a very simple, pure play on investing the on the infrastructure of cryptocurrencies i especially like that they were involved heavily in mining ethereum because ethereum is what's the uh, platform being used to create a lot of these other cryptocurrencies these other icos so um hive was our first one and you can buy it on the tsx venture under hive h-i-v-e you can learn more about it at futuremoneytrends.com slash hive um and then the uh second one we profiled recently um was a company called global live technology uh ran by anthony lacavera one of the most successful young entrepreneurs in all of Canada. He uh, took on the telecommunications giants about 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, created a, um, a, a company called Wind, sold it to Shaw for about $1.3 billion. Uh, so this guy's a, an ultra um, you know, uh, successful entrepreneur who's somebody who has skin in the game and works through problems. And he, uh, I spoke to him over the, uh, I guess, probably the spring, and he was talking about really implementing the blockchain for businesses, specifically for the financial industry, where it was very important to keep track of transactions and bring more of a trust uh, worthiness to it, uh, where you couldn't you couldn't tamper with it. Uh, but he also on the on the other side, he says, okay, I, I I see the need for blockchain, but what about AI? Can AI go through all these transactions and try to make a business more efficient? Let's say you're uh, lending money out and the AI can go through the blockchain and see where the best return on in, on investment is or the, the best 
uh, loan ratio for a certain type of borrower. And so that's where Global Life Technology comes in. So we're, you know, outside of IBM, it's one of the only companies that's legitimate in my eyes that is involved in, in putting forward some of these uh, AI and blockchain solutions into businesses. So that's really me investing and speculating again, really speculating on the future of the blockchain, the future of blockchain merged with AI in Hive and Live. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to the cryptocurrencies themselves, I, my only suggestion is I, I just stick with Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin. Uh, try to keep it real simple. If they if they do what you think they're going to do, uh, or any of these Bitcoin enthusiasts think they're going to do, you're, you'll be fine. You don't need to buy an ICO. That you, you, you the odds are you probably lose all your money. Yeah. Another area you get into is real estate. Is buying real estate with no money down and not having to borrow from banks. How do you do that in today's market? So no money down is is uh is tricky. Uh, because you 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 could be potentially using a credit card or a, a policy loan on whole life, you know there 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 usually isn't such a thing as a true no money down where you just walk in. Usually you're just borrowing the money from some other source. But I have done um, not a single not I have not done a single conventional mortgage since 2006. So for the last 12 years, I have done nothing but owner financing. I have structured those deals all sorts of way from from outright purchasing someone else's LLC to completely avoid an actual real estate transaction because I wanted to buy the LLC because the LLC had a loan, uh, to the ones that I normally do, which is you find a seller that is usually backed into a corner. Let's say they have three days till foreclosure or less than a week, uh, and then the house actually has a little fixing to do too. So you're looking for a distressed seller, distressed house. That's more of an ideal situation where you can give the seller, you know, five to ten thousand dollars and say goodbye, assume their mortgage. Uh, so now you're paying their mortgage while you're fixing up the property. Because I don't want to assume a mortgage and write it for 25 years. I want to assume a mortgage and then sell the house and close that transaction out. Because um, every mortgage does have uh, a due on due on sales clause. And assuming a mortgage, transferring title, that is absolute sale. Now, I will tell you this. I've spoken to many real estate investors, and I've been doing this for 12 years. No bank has ever been upset with me for paying the mortgage. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, I've yeah. never heard of any foreclosure or any issue doing this strategy. But the fact of the matter is it's not the way it's supposed to be done. So when I do these, I do these with the mindset that I'm always going to flip out of them and sell them because – the fact of the matter is it's still paying on I'm paying on with somebody else's name on the mortgage statement and you know uh, I do these in a very specific way so I get borrowers authorization so I'm able to speak to the bank just as they are but still it's it's just for my own peace of mind I usually flip out of all these ones that are owner financing with the exception of when the when the owner and the seller own the house outright then that I consider that I call that a true seller financing deal where they're the bank and those are good on both ends, whether you're the buyer or the seller. I mean, you went through the real estate bust of 2008. Are you concerned that real estate values are rising too fast now? Yeah, it's a very unfortunate situation that even though lending is, is certainly better than the tail end of 2008 when it was, you know, 125% loan to value and 1% teaser rates, it's very unfortunate. I was reading the, something you probably came across uh, last week too about California you know the the it's 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 more unaffordable uh, than it was in 2006, the last time it peaked. So uh, I think it's unfortunate because 
you know, we just came out of a national recession from housing. I'd hate to see the country uh, relive something similar. And this time, uh, the fundamentals are, are a little better in the borrowers, but it looks like we're, we're, we're there again because there's not much upside in, in some of the more populated regions in, in the United States. So would you want to be buying in the less uh, kind of trendy areas, not San Francisco, but maybe Indianapolis or someplace where it's not going to be quite as trendy? Yeah, I would say certainly for investors, you either need to stick with areas that cash flow that aren't as trendy, like the one you just mentioned, like Indianapolis, or you just need to be a good investor. So, look, you can still invest in California, but you're going to need to make sure you're there to get the best deal. I'll tell you, in my own state in Texas, um, I focus on foundation problems. So it doesn't matter if the market is great in Texas or so-so in Texas. I am, I am specifically buying a specific type of house where I know I can go in with a big discount. You know, when I'm buying these properties with foundation problems – um, no one can get a conventional mortgage to buy them. So right off the bat, I've gotten rid of 99% of my competition. And then from the investors that are left, not many of them know about foundation problems. They might be ignorant to it, like I was for many years, and avoid it, even though it's like a four or $5,000 problem. But it, uh, it creates a, a discount of the property. So I would just go back to if you're going to invest, it doesn't matter what the market's doing. Uh, if you're a good investor, you should be able to get the right deal for yourself no matter what region. But if you're just an armchair investor, certainly stick to the less trendy areas. You don't want to buy in Vegas right now. You know, you don't want to buy uh, in, in Phoenix right now. Those homes are, have, have seen radical appreciation over the past six years. Yeah. Uh, another area you follow is gold and silver. You seem to be big on silver these days. Why do you think silver has a good uh, potential here? You know, silver, I like it because it's it's used. I understand the reasons for owning gold. I will consider myself a gold bug. I, I regularly purchase gold as part of my savings plan. But gold has always bothered me in the sense that there's its, it's only value is that it is seen as money by other people. Um, but it, it's, it does bother me a little bit that that's really its only value. I know it's used from jewelry and it's got some other things, but... That's always bottomed with gold. With silver, it's it's the opposite. Silver has that same reason. People view it as some a form of money. Many cultures, in fact, the, the word silver, um, in in many languages, is just the word money. Um, but with silver, I love it because it's used for an, for industry. It's not only used for jewelry and money. Um, it's used for thousands of products from water treatment to RFID chips, basically anything electrical. The cell phone I'm holding has probably 45 cents in it. Our computers, it just goes on and on. And, it's, and the demand is even surging higher because now it's a clean metal. You can, you can lump silver in there with lithium and cobalt. Uh, silver is being used uh, in all the solar panels, um, in all of these batteries, in these vehicles. So um, that's why I'm more bullish on silver because if the – scenario where gold spikes happens uh, because of some sort of debt crisis, then silver will ha will go higher as well because of that move. But let's say we just continue living life the way we do for the next 10 to 20 years. Gold might be at $1,000, but silver justifiably because of all the demand and the lack of future supply, it has a legitimate case to go up with or without gold. So that's why I choose silver. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Daniel Amaduri. He's the president of Future Money Trends. Uh, his website is futuremoneytrends.com. 
to see all about his newsletters. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Looking for an investment option? Consider Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. Secured Real Estate Income Strategies is a real estate-backed option offering investments with a monthly income objective. The goal of the strategy is to lend money to real estate developers. SREIS offers an 8% preferred return per annum, plus a share in any profits. While there is risk, including loss of capital, and you should carefully read the offering circular for full details, Secured Real Estate Income Strategies screens each real estate loan carefully. Call 888-444-2102 or visit securedrealestatefunds.com to learn more. 888-444-2102. Jordan Goodman is an advisor to and part owner in Secured Real Estate Income Strategies. This does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. Securities offered through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA, SIPC. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Daniel Amaduri, president of Future Money Trends, the newsletters. Uh, the website to find out more is futuremoneytrends.com. Welcome back to the show, Daniel. Thanks. It's been fun. On silver, uh, if you think it has a big future, would you buy physical silver or silver ETFs or silver mining shares? How would you play it? I think silver, physical silver, if you're planning on being a long-term holder. The ETFs, obviously, if you're hoping to sell when it doubles. Um, I don't like ETFs in any mining stock uh, when it comes to the miners, just because mining is just the worst business in the world. Um, when you think about just depleting your assets and it's hard to find and it's costly, it's seriously the worst thing you could invest in. So if I am going to invest in a mining company, it has to be a very specific company. People I, people I know are running it are, are, are you know, uh, of, of the mindset and the track record to get it done, to make money in, in, in that type of business. So the only silver company I actually invest in is a company called First Majestic Silver. It happens to be the purest silver on the planet. 
um, down significantly, by the way, along with all the other miners and the metals. So I think it's a good buy right now, First Majestic Silver. Uh, it's ran by Keith Newmeyer, who's built a, a billion-dollar co- copper company up before he created this billion-dollar silver giant. But it's really hard because if you go to invest in an individual silver stock, let's say Pan American Silver, the one everybody knows about because it's the biggest and most famous, is uh, Pan American Silver, less than 45% of their revenues actually come from silver. Uh, it's gotten to where Hecla changed their name. Uh, uh, silver Wheaton changed their name to uh, Pr- Precious Wheaton or Wheaton Precious Metals. Same thing with um, some of these other companies where they've actually changed their name because they just don't produce enough silver to justify being called a silver miner. And uh, that First Majestic Silver is one of those companies where they're absolutely uh, over 70% of their revenues come from silver. And that's what I like about them. So let's talk. Some of the things we've been talking about are kind of an assault on the U.S. dollar as a world reserve currency, cryptocurrencies, gold and silver. You've written about the possibility that the U.S. dollar will no longer be the world's reserve currency. How would that all play out? Ooh, that is the uh, the trillion dollar question. I don't know how it would play out, and I hope that it doesn't. I'm a father of a, a four year old, a six year old, and an eight year old. So when I talk about a currency crisis, it's certainly not something I'm excited about or eager to have because it would radically change all of our lives. But I do think there is a, some systemic risk in how we treat other nations. You know, the currency is not technically backed by anything, but Really, and when it when it comes down to it, it's backed by the U.S. empire, which occupies roughly 130 plus countries, and not occupies, but has troops, some sort of military presence in 130 countries, significant military presence in the Middle East, massive bases in Europe, uh, pointed right at Europe, massive bases in Japan, pointed right at China. So that is what the dollar is backed by, and it also has this whole legal structure of the payment system and how companies or countries do trade with each other. So it is so important that the U.S. has good relationships with both its allies and its enemies because this is where we're most vulnerable with $21 trillion in debt. And now we're going into annual trillion dollar deficits. And soon, even according to the Congressional Budget Office, which is always wrong, um, by 2028, they're projecting that will have annual trillion-dollar interest payments on the debt. And remember, they're assuming no recession for the next 10 years and artificially low interest rates. So we could be looking at trillion-dollar interest payments on past borrowing much sooner than 2028. So I think that's the systemic risk of the currency, is that either the market rejects the unsustainability of what's happening in the United States and its monetary policy, or worse, a foreign entity who has a beef with the U.S., and many of them do, we've given them plenty of reasons, um, openly attacks the dollar, either by dumping our bonds uh, uh, in an an aggressive way or doing something to where there actually becomes an alternative to the currency. Uh, But I would say that is the best thing going for the dollar is that there is, right now, there just isn't an alternative. You ask me, how does that look? That's the problem. That's why there isn't a dollar collapse today. It's not that the dollar is good. It's that there just is no other realistic alternative when it comes to liquidity or trust. If, if anything, right now, the emerging market currencies like the Russian ruble and the Turkish lira, South African rand have been plummeting, um, and people are going more towards the dollar. It's not going the other direction right now. Absolutely. And let's be real. If you're Who, who do you trust more uh, when it comes to your property rights? Do you trust 
uh, the European Union? Do you trust China or do you trust the United States? Well, given those three, alter those three, because really only the euro is a realistic alternative. China's, you know, 20 years away. But that's the one that people would bring up. Let's be real. Anybody listening to the show right now, you're, you're probably going to trust the United States when it comes to the property rights. And, and you got to think of like an oil oligarch or something. So that's another reason why the dollar works is because it happens to be the most trustworthy in a sea of untrustworthy uh, uh, currencies. You've talked in your newsletter recently about the rising consumer credit outstanding. It's up to about uh, 2.6 trillion or something like. Well, actually, from 2.6 trillion to now 4 trillion now. Uh, what is there a breaking point, or what is the the problem you see with the amount of consumer credit rising so fast? Well, there is a plateau in it, uh, so it could be peaking. The main problem is that this we're just it's borrowed prosperity, and you've talked a lot about this as well. And, you know, whether it's the government debt or individual consumers, we've got a lot of borrowed prosperity. Eventually, you have to pay it back. Now, that um, is not an, an unusual cycle of what happens with a, a company or, or an, an entity or an individual. But, but what is unusual is that we have binged on all this consumption with artificially low interest rates, which creates quite the predicament because now when interest rates go up even a little bit, it could crush the economy because the consumer is already um, over-indebted. The government, like we just talked about, we're looking at trillion-dollar annual deficits and soon trillion-dollar interest payments. And all of this creates a heavy weight uh, where you know we've misallocated funds. As individuals, we've misallocated funds to um, be able to use in, in the future. We won't have that money in the future because we're going to have to use it to pay off debt. And same thing with the government. Uh, a lot of money that could be invested in the private economy to help the economy have a sustainable growth. Instead, uh, a lot of institutions are going to divert that money into government bonds um, because the demand is, 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 is larger than ever. And it will continue to be there for many institutions, which, of course, diverts money into government and not into the rural economy. We have about two minutes left. Why don't you kind of summarize... Uh, if people subscribe to future money trends, I mean, we've said some ne very negative things, but you also got some very positive outlooks. Kind of summarize where you think we are and what opportunities are available. Yeah, I'm yeah, very I'm optimistic, optimistic about, about the, technology the technology that we're, that we're seeing, seeing and just the ability for people to communicate and transact with each other. So look, if you go to futuremoneytrends.com, it's a personal finance letter uh, that is basically focused on trying to make money uh, in a protective and defensive way. So I am concerned about some of these major changes I see or the debt um, with, the, with the U.S. government um, or even how the stock market might do in the future. Um, so I try to focus on things that individually each of us can take into our control. And some of that's just diversifying out of Wall Street, getting into buying physical pieces of real estate, getting, in, getting into that crowdfunding that we were talking about earlier, so really, it's it's um it's a personal finance letter, but I don't want to just give everything we make to Wall Street or to some fee-based or commission-based system. I really want us to get back into taking things into our, our own control and our own power. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Daniel Amaduri. He's the president of Future Money Trends. You can see a lot about what we discussed and much more at futuremoneytrends.com. Thanks so much for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show, Daniel. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show.
Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.